Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. And Facebook has pros and cons, <laughs> but if we're honest, it definitely has pros. Facebook has made the world a better place. And this is an unpaid advert. It has saved many relationships. You know, in those days, you can be going about your day wondering why your lady is giving you attitude. And then by 4 p.m., she eventually says, you dummy, it's our anniversary. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Facebook has stopped that. If someone, if you tell someone, I went to this school, and the person says, oh, I don't believe you, you just drop receipts real quick, right? <laughs> now that I have your attention, I just want you to know that God has a book. <laughs> God really has a book. And this might sound like another cliche American, black American preaching, <laughs> But it's good you have Facebook, but you must also have a faith book. Did you understand what I'm saying? God has a book of records. God knows and records every detail of your life. Just the same way I can see what you were up to last year and two years ago and four years ago on Facebook. You know what the Bible says? Rather scary text in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, it says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Everybody open Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. Matthew chapter 12, 36 and 37. Are you there? Read together, one, two, go. Read like you're alive, come on. One, two, go. That men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Verse 37, together, one, two, go. For by thy words you shall be justified, and by thy words you shall be what? So God has a book of records. Every single word. I've told you in the spirit realm, they don't hear Najos Crusoe. <laughs> Are you listening to me? It says every idle word. You will give account. And listen, that's another thing. He says you will give account, meaning this book that God has is not subjective. You see, Facebook will just simply ask you what's on your mind. And you see, whether you were foolish or not, it's your page, and if someone tries to correct you, you could even block the person. You are entitled. Facebook gives you exclusivity to your foolishness or to your wisdom, <laughs> whatever the case may be. But when it comes to God's book, there is a standard. You will be measured according to that standard. You will be judged according to that standard, and you will give account. Not only does God have a book of records, God has a book of life. How many of you have read or heard about that? There's something called the Lamb's Book of Life. 
And it's so powerful. Listen, you could be 60 years and have no record there. You could be 70 years old and have no record there. You start living when you come to Christ. That's another book. And to get into that book, this is what you need to do. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, so, that book is for people who have everlasting life, not just ordinary life. In this radar called everlasting life, in this diary called everlasting life, some people have no stories. No history. None. There is a book of life. 2 Corinthians 5.15 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Meaning you literally start to exist. Jesus said, except a man be born again. He's talking about another realm of existence. They that are born of the flesh are flesh, he says. But those who are born of the spirit are spirit. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be what? Aha. And when you get born again, you are in that book of life. So God has a book of records. God has a book of life. And then God has a faith book. Listen, you may, in the book of, you may be in the book of life and not be in God's faith book. <laughs> God's faith book is a book of rewards. A book of rewards. It's one thing to be in Christ. It's another thing to do things for Christ. Come on, are you with me? It's one thing to be in Christ. That's why in this church we say we are in Christ for Christ. So we don't just say, heaven at last. Listen, the moment you get born again, you are saved to walk. We have a responsibility. He said, go ye into all the world, teach all nations. And for everyone who responds to that call, there's a great reward. I'm telling you, a great reward. And there have been many metaphors to describe that reward. The book of Revelation talks about a special stone that will be given to such people. Or a special crown. And we can go on and on with this. A beautiful song by Don Muen captures this. He says, when it's all been said and done, there is just one thing that matters. Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? When it's all been said and done, all my treasures will mean nothing. Only what I have done for love's reward will stand the test of time. You see, on Facebook, you can flaunt your new car and we're happy for you. Or your new wristwatch and all of those things. But I'm talking about a different realm that has a different value system. God definitely is not impressed by those things. And so the real question I have for you is this. Besides what you wear and what you have and your degree, 
What's left to you uh, to, to say about you? Is there more to say to be said about you? What have you done for love's reward? What have you done for the kingdom? What have you done for the poor? What have you done for the needy? What have you done for Christ? So there are a lot of achievements here that God doesn't reckon. You better believe it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 from verse 13. Talks about the last day. It says, each one's work will be made clear. <laughs> now that's scary. Meaning, your value will become obvious. Each one's work will be made clear. For the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test everyone's work of what sort it is. Meaning, not every achievement can survive the realm of eternity. Not every achievement can. And you know you have truly achieved when what you have has value in eternity. Because the moment you are crossing from this realm, you are crossing to, to, to the realm of fire. And only things that can survive that fire will count on that side. It will be tested with fire, it says, and people will suffer loss. Because they would have invested in things that have little or no value on the other side. Come on, are you listening to me? This is very serious. And so when you come to a text or a chapter like Hebrews 11, it's very powerful and profound. Because now in Hebrews 11... It gives you the record of people with reference to their contribution to the things of God. You can talk about people, maybe Facebook will talk about the school you went to, who you got married to, the children that you have. But in God's Facebook, the only things written about you are the things relevant to his God-centeredness. I've told you God is God-centered. God is committed to his own plan. And everything you did just for your namesake would not make it there. So now, if you assess your life based on the things you did in the name of Christ, not so that you get a pat on the back, not so that you feel good about yourself. What can be said about you in terms of this? When it comes to writing your faith story, what can be said about you? So in Hebrews 11, this is so profound. When it comes to contribution to the kingdom of God and the advancement of God's cause on the earth, the Bible says, by faith, Abraham sojourned. By faith, Abel sacrificed. By faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Moses refused. You know, so all action words, what have you done for Christ? What have you done by faith? Please don't joke with this. This is serious. God really has a book. He, he reckons you by your relevance 
to the cause of Christ. And that's something to think about. How have I contributed? What have I done? I want you to plan for your future. Because as irrelevant as you think this sermon may be, max 100 years, you'll be living with the reality of this truth. This is a sermon that cannot be ignored. You will live with the reality of this truth. Very soon you will stand before God. You are going to a place that your car cannot follow. The car can't go there. Your money can't go there. There better be more to you than what you have. And so it's important that I revisit the concept of purpose. A lot of people don't know this. But you're here for a reason. And there's a lot of entertainment in life and God is pleased with that. Especially if it's done, you know, I mean, I'm specifically if it's done right. God wants you to be happy, you know, and just have a social life. You know, God has no problem with that. And those who think he does, you know, they're just being religious and not spiritual. But when it all comes down to it, you have a deeper essence than your environment is trying to portray. There's more to your life. What is your purpose on earth? Have you discovered it? Do you know it? You know, and I know we always have, you know, new people join this church. So there's some things that we've emphasized over and over again. I just want to breeze through in this sermon. When you talk about purpose, generally, you're talking about the reason why something exists. That's, that's just layman definition. The reason why something exists. Purpose will always answer the question why or to what end. It can be very frustrating, no matter your achievement, not to know your why. There are a lot of people who have a lot of money and are still not happy because they still never got to figure out why. What's, what's the purpose? And if all your life, you thought life was about money, you know, I've said this before, and maybe at a young age, you hit all your targets, then the rest of your life becomes empty. Because you've driven your dream car at 35. You're living in your dream house at 35. Then the rest of your life becomes meaningless. And then it works the opposite also. If all your life is about trying to drive a particular type of car, live in a particular type of house, and you don't have it, your life becomes meaningless. You must discover the why of your life. That's the paradox of fickleness. Whether you have it or you don't, you'll be empty. If you think life is about things, if you have the things, you'll become empty. If you don't have it, you'll become empty. And whilst you are pursuing it, before you have it, you will never be satisfied. It's a very frustrating way to live your life, I tell you. Very frustrating. This is a sermon that is not just religious. It's something everyone can relate to. There are a lot of people who are not religious but are not happy. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever 
wanted something so bad, maybe a phone. And then when you bought it, you discovered much to your surprise, you were not half as happy as you thought you would be. Has it happened before? As you were unpacking it, you just felt, is this it? There is a Bible language for what you ex expressed. All is vanity. Vanity of a man. <laughs> for some of you, it wasn't really a spiritual feeling. It was just your debit. <laughs> um, <laughs> you better figure out your why and figure it early enough. But now let's get deeper. The mere idea of purpose presupposes the existence of a creator with expectations. I take that again. The mere idea of purpose presupposes the existence of a creator with expectations. When you talk about purpose, you are talking about a creator who existed before you and had an assignment for which he created you to satisfy. And let me also say this. Whatever you think is your purpose in life must be relevant in the realm of your creator. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Whatever you think is your purpose in life must be relevant in the realm of your creator. If your purpose existed before you, it must exist after you. Whatever you think is your purpose that is not possible after your existence on this earth is not your purpose. If you thought being a doctor is your purpose and you can only be a doctor in this current world, <laughs> it just tells you that being a doctor cannot be your purpose because your purpose, just like the creator, must have eternal relevance. Eternal relevance. Whatever will be petty to bring up in the conversation when you eventually meet your creator cannot be your purpose. If you stand before God at the end of your life and you just say, have you seen my jewelry case? Drip. You know? <laughs> if you think that's silly, if you think that won't even come up, then it can't be your purpose. It must be relevant in the throne room because it is from the throne room that it came. Say loud, amen. amen. This is so important. If you get this right, <laughs> you will truly be happy. And that's no empty marketing. It's true. It's true. I want you to see something in Revelation chapter 5. I've read this a couple of times. I'll read it a billion times more because it's so profound. Now, the writer of this book has the privilege to see visions of the throne room of God and things that ensue. Some of these things have already happened. Some of these things will happen. You know, and now he's seeing a vision. And the Bible says in verse 1 of Revelation 5, it says, And I saw 
in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under was able to open this scroll. I don't want to get into the theological complexities of what that scroll represents, but from everything you are reading, you can tell it's something important, something that the destiny of humanity and the destiny of all creation depends on. And now he's asking, he throws a challenge to all of humanity, who is worthy to open the scroll and to read it seals thereof. And of all our inventions, of all our infrastructure, of all our geniuses, with all their ridiculous IQ results and ridiculous achievements and ridiculous capacities, there was no one found in heaven and earth. You see, one of our problems is this. We have a poor sense of what we need. We don't even know what we need. And now he's telling you there's a scroll. I know all we care about is what's going on on social media. But listen, there's a scroll that someone needs to be able to read and to open. And if no one can, we're all doomed. And verse 4, he says, so I wept much. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll and to look at it. I wept, I wept, I wept. But as I was weeping, the Bible says, one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to lose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. There's so much to unpack here. When I taught on this the first time, I pointed out something very important you must not miss. Imagine someone taps you and says, look, the lion has prevailed. And then when you look to see the lion, you instead see a lamb. And not just do you see a lamb, you see a lamb that is dead. So this is a picture of strength in the eyes of God. Because lion is a picture, a metaphor of strength, a strong animal, you know, that can win, you know, and is victorious, you know, and all of that. But when he looked to see that lion, he instead saw a lamb that is slain. And so what God is telling you is that the biggest picture of strength in eternity is the sacrifice of Christ. Are you getting what I'm saying? And of all the achievements of humanity, what matters the most in heaven is what Christ has done. That we were able to find a man like Martin Luther Jr., you know, to stand against, you know, the oppression of the black man, at least to a large extent. We were able to find a man in Nelson Mandela to stop all the drama in South Africa, you know, but when it came to that scroll, God's eternal destiny for man that we so desperately need, the strongest of us, the wisest of us, the tallest of us, the smartest of us could not help. And then we see a lamb 
slain. Listen, this is God's picture of importance. Everything in heaven is measured with reference to that sacrifice. Please, are you listening to me? The entire Bible is measured with reference to that sacrifice. You know, a lot of people have said the, the Bible, you know, you can get all kinds of lessons from the Bible. They are wrong. The Bible is about one thing, or one thing in two different ways. The Bible is essentially about salvation. The provision of salvation, the promise of salvation, and the provision of salvation. Or more accurately, three things. The promise of salvation, the provision of salvation, and the consummation of salvation. That's what the Bible is about. And so the people who made it to Bible history were people who were relevant either to the promise or the provision or the consummation. Listen, this is how God views greatness. There are a lot of great people in the history of humanity that God did not talk about. Are you getting what I'm saying? Come on, do you get this? I'm talking about writing your faith story. So when God wants to write about humanity, what stands out for him? That's what I'm talking about. And he says, by faith, Abraham sojourned. When I told Abraham, go to a place that I will show you, he stood up. There are many other great things that people have done. Built great businesses. God did not talk about that. As helpful as all those things are, it is the achievements of men relevant to salvation that he talked about. Abraham sojourned. Abel gave a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And that's another example. What made Abel's sacrifice more excellent than Cain's? Because he spoke of Christ. Because when Abel put a lamb on that altar and slaughtered it, he was foretelling the sacrifice of Christ. Many people, you know, in the book of Bible stories, they put Cain, you know, with damaged crops. The Bible doesn't tell us that Cain gave bad crops. Read your Bible. That's why he was angry. He gave good crops. So why wasn't it accepted? Because it was not relevant to the portraying of God's salvific plan in Christ. So this is how God measures great generosity. And this is how God measures great contribution with reference to Christ. So even if Cain gave all his crops, he still will be rejected because what matters to Christ is the relevance of what you are doing to his salvation plan. Are you getting what I'm saying? This is, this is how, when God sees you, he scans through all the other things you did. The cross is the crux of human existence. That's what measures your relevance. He said, whatever you do in word or in deed, do in the name of Jesus. You can do good with the wrong motivation. You know, we have blanket definitions of generosity, blanket definitions of love, blanket definitions of sacrifice. But now the Bible tells you 
that even if you bestow all your goods to the poor and have not love, meaning you can give all you have to charity and love was not your motivation. That's what the Bible says. Are you with me? The Bible says you can give your very body to be burnt and have not love. Meaning you cannot judge love by actions, but by motive. <laughs> there is no love without action, but not every action is love. Some of you know what I'm saying. You know, some of you ladies know guys who were ready to throw all their resources at you, but were not really interested. Yes or yes. Uh -huh. You understand that? So God wants to measure all your efforts relative to its relevance in Christ. Hallelujah. Come on, I said hallelujah. So now in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So since faith is so important, I want us to talk about that. Since God has a faith book, I want us to talk about that. And first things first, you need to understand what he was talking about. Faith is anything that substantiates your hope. <laughs> That's Hebrews 11.1 1, revised. Anything that substantiates your hope. Any action by which your hope is substantiated. Abraham sojourned. He substantiated his hope. Abel gave. He substantiated his hope. All right? It's also important to define hope in what? He's not talking about hope in a better day. He's talking about hope. In salvation, God's salvation plan, I already told you from Revelations 4, this is what matters to God. And so anything that substantiates your hope in God's salvation plan is faith. So when God wants to raise a people from which Christ will be born, and he wants to start that lineage with Abraham, and he says, go to a place that I will show you, and Abraham goes. Abraham is contributing to God's salvation plan. That's why it's faith. Praise the name of Jesus. So I know people have talked about charismatic faith generally, faith to move mountains, you know, and even people who don't really like God or like his agenda, I mean, if they discover that if they exert themselves spiritually, they can get a better job or a better car, you know, I mean, they're interested in that, but this is different. This kind of faith starts first and foremost with your understanding of God's plan and your selfless commitment to it. And then you say, you know what? God, whatever it takes for this plan to come to fulfillment, I'm going to do it. By faith, Abraham sojourned. And then you know what? This can also be difficult <laughs> because it involves sacrifice. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
Do you know, and that's the thing we must all learn. Many of the things God has asked us to do have a specific way God has intended for them to be done. You can have a carnal perspective to how you want to please to how you want to please God. But God is very specific about how he wants it done. Maybe it never occurred to you. Why did Moses have to take them through the wilderness? He's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why didn't he just wait for Pharaoh to die and then he becomes Pharaoh and Pharaoh lets my people go? It didn't occur to you, right? Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. But God says it's foolishness. It will involve sacrifice. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And by that, he rejected a lot of privileges. Some of us need to learn this. If you don't learn this, you won't be relevant to God's plan. Because can I tell you something? You might have special privileges. But you must be able to relate to the pain that other people are going through. The same thing with Esther. Your people are in bondage, but by, by your gifts and your privileges, because you're fine... You find yourself in the palace. And so the prophecy is this. The warning was this. Don't think because you're in the palace, it won't touch you eventually. And if you don't help, God will raise help from another place. And so now you're Moses. Your people are in bondage. But you're in the palace. Privileged to be son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now you have a choice. You can look away. But then, when he saw his people oppressed, he just couldn't take it. He just couldn't take it. I've told you many times, what you cannot take many times is a pointer to your calling. Are you getting what I'm saying? Because it's God who walks in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Even if he went about it the wrong way, he shouldn't have killed that guy. But it is noteworthy that even before Moses saw a burning bush, he already couldn't take the oppression of the Israelites. That was his calling responding. Are you getting that? It was his call. Don't ignore that call. Some of you, you have like a burning desire maybe to change something or to help children, you know, or to just stop something in the world. But maybe you just got weighed down. It's convenient for you to just face your own face your work, you know, get richer, and move on. But the same word that was given to Esther is what I'm telling you now. You must write your faith story. It won't be convenient to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Just imagine you grew up royal, and now you have to run away, exile from Egypt, and you become a shepherd. You are watching over sheep. It took a lot. It took a lot. It will take a lot to start. You never really understand what Moses did until you bear in mind that the Pharaoh that he had to stand up to was a father figure in his life. Maybe it has never occurred to you. That was his dad. Maybe that's why Pharaoh said, ah, ah, we die here. You, that we were changing your pampas. <laughs> Maybe that's why Pharaoh was stubborn. 
He said, no. <laughs> you, Mose. <laughs> you are alive because of me. They brought you into this palace. I fed you. You know, almost a typical African child scenario. When your parents, you know, you just catch one vision in life. They want you to be a doctor. And you say, Daddy, music. <laughs> you know. <laughs> My dad used to do these things. You know, he liked to impress his friends then. And so when his friends are around, he would just call me. Like when, when he would just call me. Huh? Hey, what? <laughs> I hope he's not watching. <laughs> So what do you have in common entrance again? I had 566. Oh, that's my boy. You know, <laughs> typical African dad stuff. And then he used to ask my sister, you know, what she wanted to be, and she used to say doctor. <laughs> Which is very laughable now in retrospect, because anyway. <laughs> so he didn't know she had changed her mind. She had watched some TV shows and decided... I like hairdressing. So one day his friends were around and he said, Anne, come here. So what do you want to be again in future? I just said, hairdresser. <laughs> and so my dad allowed his friend to go and called her in. He said, what? Hallelujah. I want to appeal to you. It's easier. Some of you, let me tell you something. Some of you have a passion to change this country, for instance. And you are probably tempted to just give up, pursue your papers, and disappear. This is, this is word of knowledge now. May not be for everybody, but it's for some people. Don't get discouraged. Eh? It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Though he was equal with God, he didn't consider those divine privileges something to hold on to. He laid them aside, took on the form of a servant. Sometimes if you want to really make a change for God, you have to be ready to embrace the sacrifice. He was obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. That's your calling. Embrace your calling. It's easy. Listen, people will not know if you take the easy route and you just get a better job somewhere and just drive all the cars you want. The way your faith is more sacrificial, it will demand more from you. You know what? When many people are reading Hebrews 11, they read only the good parts. Have you noticed? But that, that story has both good and bad. You know, it can be exciting for you to read. Oh, by faith, Abraham sojourned. By faith, you know, and they did all of these things. But when it comes to verse 33, where he says, you know, we like the first parts of verse 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lion, oh shit. You know, that's exciting stuff. 
How many of you practice that as, as children? What it would have felt to be something, to just catch the lion. <sighs> Quench the power of fire, escape the edges of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead back to life. Verse 35b, some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Are you seeing that? Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. You see, this is, this is, this is what Christianity is about. <laughs> we live like cats. We have nine lives. Don't you understand? Maybe this is not exciting for you, but it is. You know the proof that you have eternal life? You can be a bit reckless. This was the motivation of the people in the Bible. They knew that those who tried to kill them were only consummating their journey to eternal life. No wonder they were able to follow God's plan. And Paul will say, if in this life only... We have hope. We have all men most miserable. Meaning the reason, our motivation for being so reckless is that we have a better resurrection. Stand up and be counted. Do all that God will have you do for his name's sake. Come on, are you listening to me? Let me tell you this. When it comes to greatness in the sight of God, I've said this and I'm going to explain now. He measures it with reference to Christ and his salvation plan. There are many people who were talked about in the Old Testament, for instance, but were not referenced in the New Testament. Now, take note of this. David was one of the most quoted people in the New Testament. He was quoted as much as 60 times. How many times, please? If you wanted to retell David's story, there are some things you will not miss out. Some of you who grew up in Sunday school, when you hear David, what story stands out? Are you aware that that story was not told in the New Testament once? They talked about David more than 60 times in the New Testament, and Goliath was not mentioned once. Let me shock you. When it comes to relevance to eternity, Goliath was one of the smallest things David did. Listen, I'm teaching you how to see through the lens of God. <laughs> and it's very noteworthy that we call this Facebook because, you see, on Facebook, the social media platform, it is not the most important things that trend. It is the most exciting things. And sometimes you bring that character to Bible study. When we think of David, we think of Goliath. Ah, it must have been fun, you know? <laughs> but when David said, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. He was prophesying about the resurrection of Christ. And that single statement outclassed all the battles he ever fought. Are you listening to me? Outclass them all. Outclass them all. 
That single statement answered many theological questions. Answered questions on the deity of Christ. You know, when Jesus asked the Pharisees one day, who is the Messiah? They said he's David's son. Then why then did David call him Lord? David said, my Lord, the Lord said unto my Lord. Ha! The Pharisees thought, tch, tch, tch. they walked away. He was a theological juggernaut. I know he was many things. Shepherd boy, errand boy, musician. But he was a prophet. Are you getting what I'm saying? The same thing with Daniel. He was a politician, but he was a prophet. This is the kind of balance God wants you to have. You can be a businessman, but a prophet. A hairstylist, but a prophet. An architect, but a prophet. You understand times and seasons. You are able to guide your generation according to the counsel of God and say, this is how to live. That's what will count on the last day. Think of all the prophets in the Old Testament. You know, from your natural understanding, if I ask you who is the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, who would you say? Do you know who Elijah was? Do you know what it means to call down fire and do it repeatedly? See, you have to understand. At least, Moses parted the Red Sea to save lives. <laughs> You're already getting the picture now. <laughs> Elijah was parting the river for convenience. I want to pass. Ah, no boats. Pata! <laughs> you know, he was for convenience. <laughs> Bros. And listen. And Jesus says, there is no prophet in the Old Testament, none born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. John had no recorded miracle. John never healed a dick. There are only two prophets like that, Jonah and John the Baptist. And they had great results. Have you ever wondered about Jonah? Do you know what it means to evangelize? Have 100% converts without performing any miracle. Should I tell you what happened? It's very simple. They heard the story of Moses. When Moses told the Egyptian king, God said, let my people go, and he didn't answer. They heard what happened. Then one day, another Jew comes to Nineveh and says, the Lord said, ah, <laughs> The king said, even animals will fast. Any animal that eats in this kingdom, you know? He said, don't worry. We have changed. <laughs> God dealt with Pharaoh so that Nineveh will be saved. Romans 9 explains that. I don't have time to deal. The Bible is wonderful. You better read this book. It's a good book, people. But think about this. As great as miracles are. You see, you know, even today, many people don't know a good church. <laughs> a church that accurately explains who Christ is, what he has done. Listen, there shouldn't be any New Testament church without miracles. But something is more important. By the same reason John the Baptist 
mattered to God more than Elijah. That's what I'm telling you. The fact that he could point to Christ and say, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That statement alone was bigger than everything Elijah did. How God measures greatness. How you can contribute to your faith book. Not just to your bank account, but to your faith book. So when God can sell a divine agenda to you, okay, how can you contribute to the evangelizing of your generation? How can you? Okay, you say, I will partner with Celebration Church. I'm not trying to blow our trumpet. If you are a partner with a church like this, you are doing something huge. Are you listening to me? I'm telling you the fact. But God wants more. He wants more than your money. He wants your time. He wants you to open your mouth. He wants you to be ready to preach. No matter how influential you are, like Cornelius. Cornelius was already giving alms. You know, some people, that's the dream they have. I just want to make money and be giving. I will give to the church. I will give to the poor. Mm-mm. God wants to make a preacher out of Cornelius. God wants to make a preacher out of the utopian eunuch, an accountant. He was a treasurer. He had icon. <laughs> but he was an accountant that knew more than balancing accounts. He wanted to understand the book of Isaiah. When he was reading, he, like a sheep led before the sheriff is dumb. He opened up, not his mouth. He said, who is this? I want to understand this story. Who was he talking about? And by providence, Philip found himself there. Do you understand what you're reading? I said, you know, how can I understand except someone teaches me? And so Philip joined his chariot, you know, started to teach him, and he was excited. God wants more. Think about it. The writer of the book of Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, was a medical doctor. As busy as he was, he took time to research about Christ. Eh? And then now he's writing to Theophilus. He says, having had perfect understanding of the things that happened, I thought to write unto you. So you can have a perfect understanding, not just about biology, not just about the way the body works. You can learn about God. One of the best moments of my life, I'm at the gym and, you know, talking with my instructor, getting close to him, Waiting for the moment where I'll preach to him. So are you born again? So yes, okay. And we're still lifting weights. Okay. Are you filled with the Spirit? He said, yes. And then, this is the part that blew me away. He said, guess who got me filled with the Spirit? I said, who? He mentioned another church member. So it's not as if, so it was that experience, walking out with that church member that made him join the church. I said, oh my God, listen. There are levels to this pastoring thing. I'm, 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 I'm an awesome pastor. God! I did try. <laughs> I said, my, my oh God. The, the F is silent. <laughs> I felt so blessed. In all you're getting, I want you to make sure that your greatness 
is recognized by God. Are you ready for that? Yes, Lift your hand and say, Father, make a name for yourself with my life. He has done it with many people. He's done it with Abraham. You can be rich in money and rich in your contribution to the kingdom. Stand up and say that again. Say, Father, make a name for yourself with my life. Say, Father, make a name for yourself with my life. You know, you can, you know, it's easy for you to say, Oh, God, I love you. I can do anything for you. Well, he's saying, who shall I send? Who will go? It doesn't matter how great your pastor is. There are some people in your office that you have the privilege of access to. You can talk to them in a way that no one else will. You know, some great man of God might try to get close to them. You have the privilege of proximity. God wants to use your voice. God wants to use your voice. Hallelujah. God wants to sell you. So, listen. Everyone that ever did great for God had a choice. They could have minded their business. And it's always difficult. The man I talked about, even in the world, you know, Martin Luther, that you can stand up and say, I have a dream. That my daughters will not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. Listen, you can catch a divine dream for your, for, for your generation. I, I, what are you going to end in your time? It starts there. What are the things that you can't take? The funny thing is, that business idea you are looking for might be connected to your dream. Not everybody will pastor a church. So it might be connected to your dream. That divine assignment can have commercial value. For instance, if you are just tired of hearing of people, you know, who say, I was robbed, you know, in the night, and then you have a vision to start a security outfit or something like that. You're going to make money. But God wants to give you a greater motivation than money. And read business books. The people who really make it have a bigger motivation than money. I want you to solve a problem. And don't just solve it for yourself. Solve it with selfless ambition. Solve it in the name of Christ. Solve it because you love his people. You love his church. You love his name. I want to give you a few minutes. Pray that prayer one more time. Lord, I don't want to have a lot of achievements that you will not even consider achievements at all. Make a name for yourself with my life. Inspire me to do things that will shape my generation with the knowledge of your truth. I am ready to contribute. I'm ready to go where you will have me go, to do what you would have me do. Make a name for yourself with my life. Pray that prayer right now. Pray like you know you have a God that hears. Like you know you have a God that answers. Pray it from your heart. Pray from your heart. Pray from your heart. Pray from your heart. 
konde repatale konde repetekes ronde rebene kokra zapata konse pande kurande kibahaya come on pray right now who in jesus mighty name of prayed listen to me one of the fastest ways to soar in your experience of spirituality is to make sure that your needs are relevant to God's agenda. So it is one thing for you as a buried woman to say, God, give me a child, God, give me a child. But when that child is relevant to his agenda, the day Hannah says, give me a child and he will save you, that changes the priority of everything. Are you getting what I'm saying? I'm helping you see priority. When you say, God, make a name for yourself with my life. In a world where everyone is trying to make a name for themselves. You say, God, make a name. Because God is looking for who he can work with. And you say, Lord, I'm here. If you give me an instruction, I will do it. I'm telling you, this is a very prophetic church. If you would pray this prayer from your heart, you will see the hand of God. I want to give you a few more minutes. Lord, make a name for yourself with my life. I don't just want to make money. I want to please you. Make a name for yourself with my life. I don't just want to be great in the sight of men. I want to be great in your sight. Make a name for yourself with my life. Make a name for yourself with my life. Make a name for yourself. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. Just like Solomon, when you ask us for what we want, our requests already have been aligned to your agenda. And I thank you because all the other things that we should have asked for are coming with it. The wealth, the resources, the influence, the conquest in this world. We seek above all things, the kingdom and your righteousness and all other things are added. Thank you, Father. We say this again and again. Father, make a name for yourself with our lives. If you look at the world and you're looking for who to walk with, we say, here we are, Lord. Send us. Send us. Send us. Give us a sense of urgency. Let everything we do be purposeful. Let everything we do be in your name. Thank you, Father. Glory to your name. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. I want you to do something prophetic in 10 seconds. Rejoice right now. Glory! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, Reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000.
blessings.